From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast, season 12. Hello, everybody. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. I help startups stand apart from their competition and stand out to their audience with storytelling, messaging, and pitches that perform. In this podcast, you'll hear my conversations with startup leaders from around the globe as they share a slice of their company's story, stories on growth, scale, successes, and failures, all to help you and your company grow up and ultimately stand out. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to invite you to join the email newsletter that doesn't suck. That's right. If you head to startuphypeman.com and enter your email address, first you'll get my free SaaS masterclass, but you'll also get updates whenever you release new episodes, plus my storytelling tips and advice periodically throughout the month, and helpful resources from Startup Hype Man partners. It's the newsletter that doesn't suck, available at startuphypeman.com. All right. Speaking of things that don't suck, let's begin today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Fairfield County, Connecticut, and residing in New York City, he is the co-founder of Preview, Chase Marsh. I love it. Thank you for that intro. Amazing. Chase Marsh, you have officially been hyped up in your introduction to the podcast. For everyone listening, Chase is the co-founder and co-CEO of Preview. In short, Preview is helping home buyers buy homes in a much smarter way. It is a customer-focused digital home buying platform that allows for more efficiency, savings, and transparency over the home buying process. And with that introduction, Chase, I'm excited to have a conversation with you today. As am I. Thanks for having me. And today we are specifically going to be talking about something that you've had some personal experience with in building preview, and that is getting investors to understand your business model. Can you let our listeners know just a little bit on why this is on your mind and why this is important to you? Sure. So um, we just finished raising our seed round. Um, we raised $2 million um, via um, a lead investor that's based out of New York City, Corrigan Ventures, um, a great partner. They're a consumer-focused and, and uh, real estate-focused venture firm. Um, you know, the process is is an interesting, challenging process that I think you know is worth sort of discussing. And you know, one thing that came up sort of along the way is you know we're in a specific sort of vertical that has various different you know business models, and and we found during our process that we sort of. Um, if we weren't clear in what we were doing and how we were different than everybody else, we sort of got bucketed with, with other business models. So we, we sort of became very aware over time that we need to be very sort of precise in how we explain to venture firms what we're doing, why we're doing it differently. Awesome. And we're going to dive a whole, more, a whole lot more into that. And especially, I'm, ex- I'm especially curious to learn that process that you went through to ultimately get to that $2 million raise, which a lot of the people listening to this episode are also in that same mode of trying to get to that point. Now, that said, um, let's take it back a little bit. And I want to learn a little bit more about you. Um, can you tell me, you know, I gave you in your, in your introduction, I mentioned you're from Fairfield County, Connecticut. Let's do this. Um, in one to three words, describe your hometown and then tell us why. Uh, that's a that's a tough one. Um, you know, I'd say the adjectives that I would use to describe um, where I'm from is you know competitive, 
sort of type A, um, you know, well, well sort of educated, um, I guess. Sort of when you, when you think about that environment, you know, sort of set the table for where I went through my, you know, personal journey um, and sort of set me up to sort of be where I am now. Um, but, you know, I found myself in, you know, a lot of competitive sports growing up, um, you know, in competitive schools, continued sort of through college and, you know, worked on, worked on Wall Street for, for 12, 13 years. Um, but it sort of set the stage for the next chapter. Yeah. Very nice. What were some of those sports that you were involved in? Um, I played lacrosse, hockey, football. Um, you know, those were the, those were the big ones. What would you say was your, either your favorite that you played or the one you thought you were best at? Um, lacrosse. I'd have to say lacrosse. Okay. So I personally have never played lacrosse and I've never played, I mean, I played like floor hockey, but not actual <laughs> ice hockey, but, uh, and actually I never played football either aside from recreationally, but lacrosse, I've never played even recreationally. Can you tell me what you thought, what, what did lacrosse teach you about life when you look back on it? Sure. I mean, yeah, it's a team sport. Um, you know, you're not, you're not playing you know, tennis by yourself. This is a, this is a team sport that requires, you know, a ton of coordination, whether it's, you know, running plays or, or communicating on when you're you know, trying to defend against the other team. Um, you know, it taught, it taught sort of, you know, it taught me those sort of rules that, you know, you need to be good at what you do. You need to know your role. You also need to function as a team. Yeah. Speaking of teams, you ended up, um, going to Yale for your undergrad and then you worked at Citigroup, um, which is, you know, for lack of a better word, it is a very large team uh, for about a decade. Now, how did you meet your co-founder and build the team for Preview? Sure. So we met um, actually at City, um, um, at, 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 at our desk uh, at Citigroup. And uh, we, we actually were in tech, the technology sector. So it's a relevant, you know, sort of relevant place to meet. We traded technology stocks together. He left um, to go to another opportunity, you know, within a year's time, but we we're, you know, we became fast friends and we have, you know, one of the reasons why I think that this works so well is we have sort of very complementary personalities. Um, you know, he's, he has a very sort of, a, he has a good way to articulate sort of narratives, whereas I'm more sort of like a no-nonsense and operator, whereas he works more, more on the marketing side. So I think it, it very complementary sort of skill sets. Um, and I think when you do have like co-founders, co-CEOs, you sort of want to, you want the sum of the two of them to be like the best possible person. So I think that that sort of works for us. Yeah, I totally agree with you. In fact, it's, it's one reason why, you know, a very close friend of mine who, who we both met through entrepreneurship, um, there were a couple of different times where we like batted around the idea of potentially doing our own, starting a company together. And then we were like, no, but like we're way too much like the same type of person with very similar skill sets. So that probably wouldn't make for the best co-founding relationship. So it's always good to have those, those complementary skill sets, as you said. Now, let's talk through, um, how did you get the idea for Preview in the first place? Sure. So, we, so Tom, uh, the co-founder and co-CEO with me, uh, both sort of had invested previously in real estate, um, had owned and sold properties. We're, we're super frustrated with you know, the high fees. Also, sort of the other major pain point is that people are accustomed to doing, you know, things online. They're accustomed to buying uh, airline tickets online. They're accustomed to trading stocks online. Um, it's sort of an experience that people prefer. Um, so we sort of saw those two pain points of the fees being too high, as well as you know the experience being not what people are hoping for. And so we we sort of talked it over for a long time and then decided to leave our jobs on Wall Street to focus on it full time. 
Um, you know, honestly, the, the first iteration of preview was actually sort of like a modified for sale by owner product where we we're helping save sellers money, but we sort of became very obvious and to us pretty, pretty quickly along the lines that you know, it was a much easier um, vertical to hit is the buyer side of the transaction because a lot more of it can be automated and a lot more, quite frankly, buyers don't want to deal with an agent until the end of the transaction where they really sort of need that expert. Um, you know, the, we stay internally into investors, you know, preview is you know, a friend in the early mile and an expert in the last mile. Um, and it's a sort of a, it's a feature, not a bug that you don't really interact with an agent until later in the process because most people don't want it. They want to, they want to be able to buy a home online, but they do need that help. They do need that expert advice in the last part of the transaction. Well, you know, you mentioned that you can buy airline tickets online, you can buy stocks online for whatever reason, the, I think the, the late comers to that industry are cars and homes. Now, granted, those are, I mean, literally physically just much bigger assets and they're tangible assets as opposed to airline tickets. I mean, technically, yes, they're paper in your hands if you're still printing, but they could even be digital. And on top of that, you've got um, stocks, which are, you know, it's, it's, it's energy as opposed to something tangible. So do you think that's why ultimately cars and, in your case specifically, homes have not really made it on the online? I mean, there is like Zillow and stuff, right, where you can look. But what would you attribute that sort of lag in bringing home buying online to? What would you attribute the lag to? Sure. Uh, there, there's something that's actually, it's called a, like a frequency mismatch where like people do something, but they don't do it very frequently, right? So like the average amount of time someone spends in a home is seven years. So they're, you know, same sort of applies to cars. You're not going to, you know, unless you're leasing a car for two to three years, you're, you're probably owning a car for 10 years, right? So when people are making these big high value purchases and they're not doing it very often, they don't feel like they're experts. There is sort of like some psychology around that where there is sort of anxiety and a lot of times that anxiety sort of takes you to sort of the, the, the tried and true path, that like the traditional path. So I think a lot of people when they approach these big transactions feel like they aren't experts and so they're not going to take a risk on like a newer business model and they're going to actually go the traditional route because the, the potential like mistake or risk of, of trying something new and having it not work out is, is too large. So they're sort of their brain tells them, go do the traditional route because you don't want to be the people who are sort of experimenting. Um, the cool thing about our product is that you're not taking a risk. You're, you're still working with an expert agent. Um, you're just doing a lot of the early part of the transaction on your own with houses. You're getting a feel for the market. And then once you sort of narrow the search down and found the property that you're excited about and want to make an offer on, at that point you talk to the agent. Um, but that's sort of how I've looked at it, um, that there's anxiety that sort of pushes people down the traditional path. Yeah. And so with that said, and you've kind of already explained a decent amount of it just in, tell, in responding to that question, but you know, I gave like the synopsis of preview up front, but for our listeners who presumably have not heard of preview before, can you just give like the in your own words, uh, here's what we do, you know, elevator pitch for lack of a better phrase? Sure. So, so preview is a digital buying platform that helps buyers save up to 2% of the purchase price while allowing them to buy a home online. So, you know, the, the main sort of focus is there, like the brand values around the, around the, the company are zero, zero pressure, control, transparency, um, and, you know, the ability to sort of own and 
you own your process the way that most people in this day and age want to own your process. Okay. So with that knowledge, let's talk through now our main topic for today, which was on getting investors to understand your vision. So before we get to what you know, ultimately you realized you had to do and what the outcome was in raising that $2 million in your seed round, let's talk through first, what was your initial pitch to investors and how was that received? Sure. So when we when we originally started, as I think I said before, we we sort of started as a for sale by owner platform. Um, so the the original pitch to investors was we're going to sell your home for for less money, right? Which has been this this sort of model has been tried before. We we thought we were going to sort of put some additional technology around and make it make it different. But what we found was the the seller side of the journey is a lot more stressful. There's a lot more stuff you can't automate. So then again, we sort of we pivoted quickly to the buyer side of the transaction, which was is generally a much happier process. And there's a lot more that can be automated. Um, so when when we when we originally were pitching sort of the angels for like a pre-seed round, we were talking about the seller side. Um, and I think you know we talked to a lot of people who were super excited about it. We talked to a lot of people who were like, "Hey, I've seen this before. This isn't that interesting." We are talking here with Chase Marsh, co-founder of Preview, the digital home buying platform. Now, Chase, with that just said, so you, you said you were originally focusing on the seller's market. This can, be, um, this can be a conundrum in marketplace economies for a lot of startups where they're like, well, what's the more attractive play to investors? If we pitch the user side, then they're going to see there's not a revenue play. But if we pitch the buyer's side or the seller's side, that's, that tends to be the more attractive route. And what you're saying is you did do that. However, it kind of pigeonholed you into a, oh, we've seen this before. Do you recall like specific conversations or specific reactions from investors and, and how they received it? Well, so looking at, I'll, I'll talk about when we were raising venture money for the, for the seed. So talking more, you know, later stages after the, after the pre-seed round. When we were when we were pitching investors, you know, venture venture investors, a lot of times you were sort of met with the question like, how are you different than like Redfin or how are you different than Compass, which which generally like sort of showed that that there wasn't like a full understanding of what you know the value proposition was, which which we sort of owned. Like we didn't we didn't make it clear enough either in the deck or in the meeting that they were asking that question. Like that was a big red flag. Like they should have known. They should have known why how we were different than Compass and how we were different than than Redfin. Um, so that's something that we figured out quickly that we need to address this. Like we need to make sure that they know that we're different than, than Redfin and Compass and we need to you know, make specific reasons as to why we're, why we're different than, than Redfin and Compass. So we sort of, we continue to sort of tweak the pitch, change the pitch, make sure that like the deck was crystal clear very early on, like what those sort of key differentiators were um, and how we were approaching the problem from the buy side of the marketplace versus the sell side of the marketplace. Most um, most technical brokerages are focused on the seller side of the business, which they almost sort of use as like a lead generation tool to you know get get sellers to sell them, give you know give them outstanding customer service, and then turn them into buyers who buy with them, and then they make like a full a full service rate on the buy side. So they almost like 
lose money as a loss leader on the sell side and then actually like convert that person into a buyer and, and make money on the buy side of the transaction. Whereas we focused exclusively or we focus exclusively on the buy side of the transaction and providing this different level of, of experience as well as the savings. So it, we needed to make that clear and, and we sort of iterated into that. So, so you really got forthright with saying like everyone else is seller focused, but we are buyer focused. Yeah, and, and, and with that, like, we, we sort of explained that we're able to change the experience, whereas on the seller side, there's a, everything's done offline. Like, you have to be at all the showings. You have to, there's, there's a certain amount of technology that, that, that changes the process, but the buyer side can really, a lot of it can be automated, um, and a lot, of the, a lot of the tasks that buyers are doing over and over again, you can create technology to fix that, and where it's a platform that, that, that guides you through your journey, whereas the seller side, you can't really do that. So we, we need to be, like, upfront with sort of what our, what our value prop was, um, in addition to that, like, you know, as I said, the seller side of the business, seller platforms are losing money and then try to make money on the buy side. We were actually making money. So like our, our lead investor was sort of very forthcoming with sort of feedback to us. They looked at like 50 to 60 of these companies. Um, and when they looked at most of these companies, most of them had like negative contribution margins or negative, negative gross margin. They were super excited about the fact that we actually had positive gross margins um, and they were able to acquire customers. Um, very inexpensively, we actually ended up converting at a very high rate. So those were sort of things that we that we needed to make sure we got across like immediately in these meetings, rather than waiting towards the end in like the Q and A. We needed to make sure that like you have a window in the beginning of that pitch, or you have a window in the beginning of that email to the venture firm that you needed to get across. Hey, we're different because of these these bullet points, and also by the way, we have you know we have very high revenues. Um, relative to sort of our, our competition. So those, those were things that we iterated and we put super early in, in emails to, to venture firms, put it super early in sort of the pitch um, so that it wasn't, it wasn't lost. Yeah. Now, in coming up with that value proposition, was it something that you were just, well, let me ask you right now, at least do you recall, did you create like a one sentence or a one phrase value prop statement? And do you, do you know what that is or are you, do you remember that to be able to share it now? Sure. I mean, like the, the one line that we sort of used was, is the, you know, previous a digital buying platform that helps buyers save up to 2% while also allowing them to buy a home online. So that, that was sort of what we refined it into. Um, yeah. And then typically like in those emails, the pitches, you want to like quickly follow that by saying, by the way, we've done 150 deals and we've sure. saved home buyers over $3 million. Um, and sort of hit, hit on quickly. I think like one thing that there's a conference that, that Thomas and I you know, typically go to once a year, it's out in San Francisco. Um, it's, it's actually Jason Calcanis' conference, um, obviously like a, a lot yeah. of investor. Um, yeah, we've actually, we've done an industry. episode on the show in the past specifically on a entrepreneur, uh, Amanda Greenberg, who Jason Calcanis is one of her investors and she talked about how she got in front of Jason Calacanis. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was always funny. It's always funny to us because we've gone to this now two years in a row. And so like in between, you know, presentations or segments, they typically have like filler. And the filler is typically like sort of people giving their pitch, right? Like they have like three founders that go up and sort of like battle it out. They have like, you know, two minutes to give their pitch. And what you find is, is that like a lot of people will go up on stage and they won't have like their refined sort of one line, two line sort of explain what the company does. And they'll, you know, they'll start talking about, you know, we're reinventing or reimagining and, you know, you fill in the blank, like whatever their business is. And they'll go on for like, you know, 60, 90 seconds. And like, 
at the end, Jason, Jason would be like, hey, like, you need to tighten this up. You need to like, get it out in the first like, 15, 20 yeah. seconds. And a lot of times it's, always, it's almost funny because he'll just stop people like 15, 20 seconds in and be like, all right, stop. Like, <laughs> we, need to, we, need, we need to figure this out. Um, but it, it's funny. You see time and time again, like founders doing that same thing, whether they're, they're basically going on and on for like 60, 90 seconds and they don't have that like, super tight, coherent um, you know, explanation of what their company does. It's like an investor can really understand very quickly yeah. um, and let them ask questions after that. But, but going on for 60, 90 seconds is probably not the right approach. Can you one more time say what that statement was for, um, for preview, the value prop statement? Sure. Yeah, so preview is a digital buying platform that helps buyers save up to 2% uh, while, while being able to buy a home online. Did you find that like what comes after the comma was a very attractive part of that statement? It was while being able to buy a home online. Well, so the, the whole idea of the company was sort of to solve those two pain points. So we wanted to make sure that we got both of the pain points in that sentence. Like the first being the fees are too high. And the second being we think people in this day and age should be able to buy a home online. So that after the comma is the, is the part about being, being able to buy a home online and before the comment is sort of the, the value proposition no amount of dollars. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's like the, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like that's kind of like the, <laughs> the, the thought process as you hear it. So once you created that updated value prop statement, how do you feel or how did it change your pitch deck? Yeah. Um, well, when we, when we sort of thought about the pitch deck and we thought about the emails that were going out to try to get those, those first meetings, we sort of tried to put ourselves in sort of the shoes of, of the venture firms. And like, you know, each of these venture investors, they're getting thousands of emails, like probably over the course of a couple of months, they're, they're probably getting like 20 emails a day. So, you know, the analogy for me was like, if, you ever, if you've ever hired somebody and you got like a stack of resumes, you're going through a stack of resumes, and you're, you're trying to find like those nuggets that like you pull out and you're like, wow, that one's, that one's interesting. I'm going to like, I'm going to take a second look at that one. And then you see sort of the generic ones and you put that in, in another pot. So we sort of tried to reverse engineer like how, how are we going to approach this? How are we going to, you know, go after this to create sort of um, our specific you know, data points that will attract sort of the, the first engagement from that, from that venture firm. So again, a, a clear, concise sort of first intro, um, I think the things that worked for us is we, we produced a lot of revenue. We, we have pretty significant revenue. So like we made sure that within like the first, you know, two, three sentences or the like bullets, how are you going to organize it? That we, that we highlighted the number of deals we've done, the revenue, the savings, um, as well as sort of the, the value proposition. So that's sort of how we looked at it. Um, that you need, something needs to pop off that page in order for you to be, you know, picked from that, that group of thousands of emails. Yeah. And that's like, your like page, well, almost like your executive summary, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's talk through then, you know, given that ultimately it's about getting them to understand the business model, not just the value prop, but the business model overall. Can you talk through what exactly is the preview business model? Let's, let's start there with just that question. Sure. So... Our agents represent buyers, and as part of that, they get paid a buyer's agent commission. So we give back two-thirds of, of the money that we receive representing the buyer. So typically, if it's like a 6% listing, 6% is paid by the seller, we'll get half of that, so 3%, and then we'll give back two-thirds of that. So, so buyers can save up to 2%, meaning two-thirds of that, of that 3%. Um, you know, we provide all the expert advice of a traditional agent. 
um, but you, it's, it's a different experience. So you know, we're, we're working with these buyers, helping them find the homes that they want, and we're giving them money back. Now, within that, were you going to investors who were already familiar with this type of a business model, or did you have to educate them on this type of business model? Well, so that's a really great question. So um, advice that was given to us very early on, actually by a, a venture capital firm, uh, also a personal friend of mine, um, he said there, you know, there are a lot of people that know real estate and there are a lot of people that know tech, but there aren't that many people that know both. So when we, when we looked at you know, who we were going to go after, um, we were sort of very specific in terms of the, the subset of VCs that we wanted to go after because we didn't want to spend the first 30 minutes of the 45-minute meeting explaining like how real estate worked. So we went and we found companies, uh, venture firms that had previously invested in tech uh, and real estate. And also consumer was sort of an important vertical for us to, to hit as well. So when we, when we go to those meetings, it, it, there's a lot of wasted time if they don't know the vertical real estate. Um, and so we, we sort of went after firms that, that, that had, you know, specifically real estate and tech focus. So we sort of hopefully had, had sort of gotten 90% through the education side where we could really then ex explain how we're different than other people in that vertical rather than explaining the vertical itself. The lesson there is not all investor meetings are good investor meetings. Just because someone says yes does not mean you should say yes, we'll take that meeting with you. That is, that is absolutely true. <laughs> okay, so once you got your, you know, your target investor, let's call it, and you were able to get in front of that, you know, those groups of investors, was it as simple as just explaining in that one sentence how you make money that you did you know, a, a minute or two ago here? Or did you find there was a lot more like massaging that had to go into the, that explanation? Yeah, so I guess let me start by saying like, we're a bit, so we're two guys who came from Wall Street. We're, we're first time founders. We're non-technical founders. You know, we have a bit of domain expertise, but we're not specifically like real estate guys. Um, and we'd self-fund ourselves. So we're sort of like, when you, when you look at like the, the people who are, likely to sort of succeed in the venture capital raising process we're probably like you know heading into that the odds were sort of stacked against us which which is sort of it's nice to have sort of beat the odds but you know when you when you look at our company um you know we had to sort of prove to the world via our attraction and via our product that that we were you know something to be sort of reckoned with so um when, when we when we looked at sort of going after the people after the after we sort of secured the the lead investor it certainly was easier because there was a degree of fomo right like you've you've already secured like a large portion of the round and then you're going to go out and sort of try to try to get the rest of it um you still had to sort of make sure that they they understood your your pitch and you had to be concise um and then you're going to you run into people who are sort of like this is a huge vertical like you're going to be you know you're going to be you know outgunned by people who've got ton more money and you sort of have to get over those those um impediments but um it certainly became a lot easier once you once you had the, sort of the first ticket um if that answers the question yeah yeah ella and you know one of the pieces of advice i always give to entrepreneurs is when it comes to pitching investors is spend a lot less time trying to explain how the product works and spend so much more of your time explaining the opportunity at large how you make money, what, how you get customers, et cetera. Did you follow that same path? Yeah, I think you know, we, we came from a 
from a Wall Street background where we were sort of putting together very analytical presentations. And I think it, we, we figured out, like, luckily pretty quickly, that like a lot of it's sort of about the vision of the company and like where you see it going um, and, you know, creating, creating sort of that, that narrative of, of the company and how it's different and, and, you know, not focusing necessarily on like all the specifics. Like when we look at marketing, for example, when you, when you're trying to explain what I just explained about, you know, there's 6%, you get three, then you get two thirds and you end up with 2% back. People sort of eyes glaze over. <laughs> like you, you want to, you want to be in a position where like, what, what do people understand? People understand that when they buy something with a credit card, they get cash back. Right. Yeah. So we try to sort of come up with parallels to, you know, Hey, you buy a home, you get 2% cash back. Uh-huh. Um, rather than if you take it at like a level deeper than that, then you sort of get into the granularity, which, which again, sort of leads to people sort of glazing over a bit, which, which we learn quickly because then you're going to spend, you know, this sort of portion of that sort of interaction explains something that, that they don't understand. And that like, it sort of takes away from the momentum of the presentation. I'm really glad you said that because something else when I, I give this presentation pretty regularly called, or it's a workshop called how to not suck at pitching your startup. And there's a whole section on pitching investors of it. And one of the things that I talk about there is like, you can help explain your product or your process or your, or your model by finding like a comparative situation people are already familiar with. Like finding that analogy, like you had credit card, you get cash back, right? Same idea, but not, but at the same time, not defaulting to, oh, we're Uber for this. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, that, that, that sort of took, allowed us to sort of save a ton of time, take a step forward in terms of the, like, the strategy. Because if the, if the investor wants to know how it works, they're going to ask, right? But if they're fine with, fine with the 2% cash back and like what's next, talk about like customer acquisition, then like you, you continue on. But if, but if they want to dig in, they will. Yeah. To use the tried and true analogy that no one wants to know how the sausage gets made. They just want to <laughs> eat the sausage. Right? That's exactly right. Okay. So take us to... You know, ultimately, you raise the two million dollars seed round. It's led by uh, Corrigan Ventures. Corrigan or Corrigin? Corrigin. Corrigan. Corrigin, like a Cor- like the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, gin. Okay, yeah, Corrigin, like origin with a C in front. Corrigin, <laughs> led by Corrigin Ventures. Can you just like set the stage for us of like going into that that pitch with them and kind of just take us through like that meeting from like minute zero to minute thirty or whatever, however long it lasted. Sure. So it, it, it's funny. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. So um, Tom and I were coming back from lunch one day and we actually walk into the office and the phone's ringing. So I pick up the phone and it's a client. And so I get to talk with the client. He, understood, he asks questions about the business model. He then continues to sort of ask about, oh, like, how are you funded? You know, what's the background of the company? Blah, blah, blah. So we, you know, we talk for probably 45 minutes. And then he sort of, he comes, he comes clean. He's like, hey, by the way, I'm in, I'm in the tech community. Like, you should talk to my friend, who's a very famous um, West Coast venture capital investor who invested in, like, more than 10 unicorns, like, early on. So, like, I'm like, holy smokes, like, that's an amazing introduction. So I ended up having a, having a conversation with that person on the West Coast. And so at that point, um, we had convinced this West Coast guy um, that, you know, this was an amazing opportunity. He, he put a term sheet in front of us. So sort of like heading into the Corrigin meetings, we, we, at that point we actually had it, had a term sheet. So we sort of had like a little bit more swagger than we otherwise sure, you know, sure. would, would have had. Um, but, but we immediately sort of realized that they're, they're, a, they're a great partner because of the fact that they're, they focus on direct-to-consumer, and they also are very knowledgeable in the real estate vertical. Um, so, you know, we also sort of used the fact that we did have another term sheet, you know, 
to to our advantage to a degree, like letting them know because you know it is a it is a competitive space. So you know, going into those meetings, we just we we did them like we did the rest of the meetings previously, um, and they you know they they really liked it. They followed up with questions, and then you know things happened things happened pretty quickly. But you know, one of the other things that I wanted to highlight is like it's sort of like a crazy sort of series of events, like. If, We'd been like longer at that lunch, and I hadn't come back and picked up the phone. We hadn't gotten the troop sheet. We got the West Coast, and like, who knows, like, like how things would have happened. Like, you know, FOMO is a big thing that that occurs in the space, and we don't like. We didn't really want to overplay the FOMO side of things, but it's certainly like something that you need to sort of like consider when you're when you're going through the process. So, so serendipity and timings played a big role in this too. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So. Before we wrap up, as we get to the end of our, our session here, can you let our listeners know where they can find Preview and perhaps learn more about it and maybe even find you as well online? Sure. Um, so our domain is uh, Preview, so P-R-E-V-U, so spelled differently than, than normal. So Preview.com. Um, my personal email is Chase at Preview. Um, and uh, you know, we're, we're currently live in New York and Connecticut, and we're going to be expanding um, you know, to a bunch of different geographies in the next like, six to 12 months. So please feel free to reach out. Awesome. Now to wrap up, we will close with, we'll each give our sort of respective one or two big takeaways from this conversation for the audience. I'll start and then I'll, I'll hand it over to you. To me, um, I, I think it really under, it, it really starts with, and, and our topic today was getting investors to understand your business model. Um, you know, kind of, as you said, once you got, the full and real understanding of your value proposition. It started to change how you talked about everything from there out, how you built the deck and how your conversations were going. So I think that's really like the right starting point in getting investors to understand the business model. Yeah. Again, it's like you need to figure out what your hook is and like what is going to be, what are going to be those sort of bullets or those very specific refined points that are going to sort of allow you to differentiate yourself, sell your company, give that VC the amp that they have that they need to like go to their weekly meeting and sell it to the rest of the rest of the team. Um, Cause if you can't distill that, then like you're going to have a major problem sort of getting people's attention. My final question, which we are doing as a new thing with this season is fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. Um, I would have to say entrepreneurship is you know, persistence and not giving up. Persistence and not giving up. You know, I, as I'm as I'm sure you know, you, you hear all the time. Like you know, there are a lot of sort of ups and downs in, in the in the industry when you're when you're working on a company. Um, luckily, we're we just raised, so everything's everything's great. But certainly, as you're sort of figuring out your product and you're figuring out who your users are and how to attract them, it, it's uh, it's a bit stressful. But I mean, I think if you continue to sort of fight through it, you get better, you iterate. Um, it allows you to, it increases the likelihood that you succeed. Yeah. Um, obviously, you always quote the nine out of ten startups fail. Um, but it, you know we're numbers guys over here, and so we want to make sure that we can sort of give us the best advantage we possibly can. Yeah, I, I always joke. You know, you said you've raised two million, but you're still, you know, you still got to be persistent. I always joke that, like, technically, when you raise money, it just means you're that much in debt now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's exciting, and it's sort of like the analogy that I sort of think about in my head is like you you've climbed to the top of a mountain, and it's almost like you you get you crest the top of the mountain, and then you see it like another bigger mountain in front of you. So it, it sort of just continues and continues, but that's sort of how this works. 
Um, but it's better to it's better to have climbed the first mountain than than to have not not been able to climb the mountain. He is Chase Marsh. He is the co-founder of Preview. Chase, thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can share this episode with a friend or you can leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page. When you do that, it boosts us in the search results. And ultimately, that means more entrepreneurs will listen, which means we share the message, we spread the mission and support more entrepreneurs at the end of the day. You don't have to stop with the podcast if you want more. And if you are interested in telling your company's story better across your demo calls to investors and to any audience you seek, well, then why not have a conversation with me? Head to startuphypeman.com, fill out a form there, and let's talk. If you've got recommendations for future guests for the show or you want to be a guest on the show yourself, email media at startuphypeman.com. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. We will see you next time. Hype Man out. Word up. Raise up. Got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, girl. Set a sun down too. Yeah. Ooh. This a dance with the devil, bro. Tell me what you gonna do. This a dance with the devil, bro. And if you can't get it loose, then we fall into the truth. It got your hell in it. Yeah. This a dance with the devil, bro. Set a sun down Yeah. This a dance with the devil, bro. Tell me what you gonna do. This a dance with the devil, bro. And if you can't get it loose, then it's, it's a dance with the devil.